Yo, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Another week, another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast coming your way. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee, and we are almost set for the NBA Finals, man. And you know we're going to be focused heavily on the NBA playoffs, including a preview. Not just really a preview of the matchup, but just a, a look back at the journey of how the Warriors and the Raptors are not leading the way in the NBA on the court, but all of the work that they've done to trailblaze a path to success off the court. All that plus Jay-Z blessed all of us this Memorial Day weekend, and I didn't know until late Saturday. All that is so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First Yo, Phil Collins said it best. I can feel it coming. I can feel it. Just hours after Milwaukee was eliminated in six games to the Toronto Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals, I can feel it coming in the air tonight, baby. Where the drums? You understand? I can feel it. And that feeling that I can sense is the hate coming Giannis's way. I love the NBA. If you've listened to this podcast before, if you've known me at all, right, this is like the most obvious statement that you could possibly hear. But I'll say it again. I love the NBA. I love everything about it. So much of my childhood is wrapped up in the NBA. So much of what I love outside of my family is tied to feelings and moments and just trying to learn more and talking about and discussions that I've had all surrounding the NBA. I love professional basketball. I love it more than pretty much anything that's last name is not Lee Gilbert Taylor. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, a few other people, Walters as well. I love the NBA so much. But Joe, man, I, I, really, I really feel some type of way about how the league is covered. You know what I'm saying? about how the league is covered because we do this silly stuff all the time, all the time. And now it's coming towards Giannis. Giannis was the most beloved figure and it always works this way. Every single time, every single time. It's, it's really like counting, watching the clock tick, bro. Like clockwork. It really is. They will love you just to hate you and then if you're lucky enough you can have the redemption story that make you love them that makes them love you again Giannis was beloved he's the skinny kid from greek with the name that no one can pronounce so we call him the greek freak and then he got better in the second year and then it was like oh now he's actually doesn't look like a little kid he's starting to look like a man but he had the friendly personality he's got the you know, the Instagram clips where he's got, you know, talking to his girl, talking about how he's a freak in the sheets and on the court. It's just, it's hard not to like him. He's a great player. He's charismatic. And he's playing in a small market. And that's what the NBA loves. All oh, the small market teams, right? And his game, he's 24 years old. Every single year he comes back and improves. And he's just 24. And this year, he's going to be the MVP. He was one of the, I thought he was the best player in the league this season. 
And unfortunately for him, by his standards, he had a bad playoff series. Understand, everyone's going to kill Giannis for what he did versus the, versus the Toronto Raptors. And make no mistake, I'm not excusing him. He shot 55% from the free throw line. That's inexcusable. He's got to be better. He's a 75, 76% shooter throughout the regular season. To go to 55% in the biggest playoff games in your life, the biggest games in your life, that's absurd. He's got to check that. And I'm sure he will. And his field goal percentage dropped to 44%. Now, everybody talks like he's this awful offensive half-court player. 44% in a series where he plays poorly lets you know how great he is. <laughs> Everybody swears by Kobe Bryant. You know how many series Kobe would love for how much more success Kobe would have if he was a 44% shooter in the bad series? This was Giannis's bad series. And at 44%, he still averaged 22 points, 13 rebounds. I think it was 2.7 blocks a game and over a steal a game with five assists. That's the bad series. And so many people now are attacking Giannis. It's like, dog, we can't wait. We can't wait to anoint people. We then can't wait to tear them down. And most importantly, we can't wait for young men, young players to just develop. Giannis is 24 and we want a fully produced, ready product. Sorry, that's just not how it works. A few weeks ago, I talked about Ben Simmons. And I know I'm a huge Ben Simmons fan. I don't think, I think more people feel the same way I feel regarding Giannis. Because Giannis is better than Ben. Like he's, he's more polished, he's more developed. But the, the fact, the core issue is the same. We demand young players to be a fully ready product in their early 20s. And it just doesn't happen. Steph is not the player he is now that he was at 24. Kawhi Leonard, perfect example. The whole theme with this quarter is how we build up players just to rip them down. Kawhi Leonard, small market guy, didn't talk, unassuming, the whole nine, right? Everybody loved Kawhi at first, even though everybody thought that he was just a quote-unquote role player. But he kept his mouth shut, kept his head down, and that's how we love our NBA players. We don't like NBA players who actually show emotion, who show their personality. We like robots. So that's what Kawhi did, and everybody loved him. Played for the boring Spurs, but he was amazing. And this game continued to improve. He was young. Kawhi was not the player that he... Kawhi is not the player he is currently that he was when he came into the league. But then Kawhi gets an injury, and because he doesn't talk, the thing that we praise him, the thing that we heap so much praise for, the fact that he doesn't speak, the fact that he doesn't talk, well, he stayed consistent. Kawhi didn't change. Kawhi didn't talk before he got hurt. He didn't talk during the injury, and he hasn't really talked after. But we killed him. And I'm saying we in a general sense. But the NBA and the way we cover this league and the way we talk about it and its players killed Kawhi. Oh, my God. Kawhi quit on his team, this, that, and the third. And just the same way we're doing with Giannis, we build them up just to rip them down. 
this isn't something foreign. We did it with LeBron. We called, we had LeBron James on the cover of Sports Illustrated while he was in high school. And then when he came in the league, he had these great commercials and people were just really waiting to rip him up. But he played so well that you had to wait. And then he loses in the finals. And then he loses to these super teams in, in Boston. And then we killed LeBron. It sounds absurd now in 2019 thinking about it because it wasn't that long ago. But if you've got free time, just go back and look at what was said about LeBron James. And look at the teams that he was playing and looking at the roster that he had on his team. And we call, people call LeBron all types of insane things. But LeBron came back to Cleveland and his redemption story was amazing. And now we pretend like nine, ten years ago, we people weren't saying that stuff about LeBron. That's how it works. And I promise you, if you fast forward five, six, seven years from now, all of the takes that are going to come Giannis's way this offseason, and I promise you, they are coming. All of the takes that people are going to unleash on Giannis, they're going to pretend like they didn't say it six years from now. Just like the takes that people are giving at Ben eight years from now, they're going to pretend like they didn't say it. Or they're going to be like, oh, well, he improved this game. Yes, that's the whole point. Young players are supposed to improve. That's what you want from a young player. That's what you hope that happens when you're playing in college, that after a while, after a few seasons, you get better acclimating yourself against playing versus grown men. Outside of Tim Duncan and Magic Johnson, I don't know the players who came in the league just killing and winning championships within the first three years of their career. I don't know the guys. Maybe you do. Tell me. Show me. Let me know. Shaq didn't do it. Kobe didn't do it. LeBron didn't do it. Jordan didn't do it. Larry didn't do it. In fact, Magic won a championship in his first year. Three years, four years later, they're calling him Tragic Johnson. Yet we keep doing the same thing. And that, dog, that dream blows me, young. It really does. Because Giannis will have played so well this year. Giannis has played his entire NBA career up to this point has been phenomenal, has been fantastic. He's gotten better every single year, doesn't get in trouble, is a great spokesperson for this league, and his team went to the NBA Eastern Conference Championships. And you know what? Quick aside, here's another thing that we got to stop. We keep throwing out these broad ideals and these broad theories without context right so yes the milwaukee bucks had the best record in the league this year they had home court they were the favorites Kawhi leonard and the toronto raptors finished two games behind milwaukee so just in and of itself it's not really that big of an upset but then when you provide the necessary context Kawhi leonard missed 20 games this year 22, excuse me, 22 games. The Raptors finished two games behind Milwaukee. You do that math in your head. You don't think that Kawhi, if he were to have played 10 more games, couldn't have made up those two or three more wins? You understand what I'm saying? I don't really don't consider the Raptors losing to Milwaukee that much of an upset. I really don't. I thought it was a pickup. I thought Milwaukee was going to win. Full disclosure, I was wrong. 
But I didn't think that one team was going to run away with it. I thought Milwaukee, because all season long, they've played their best basketball. But I do think this is more of a showcase of how strong and how good Toronto is than an indictment of Milwaukee. That remains to be seen. Obviously, we don't know how the NBA Finals will play out. But back to my main point, man. We've got to do better. We, I shouldn't say we've got to do better. We, we need to demand better. Because it happens all the time. It's happening to Giannis now. It happened to Kawhi last year. It happened to Kevin Durant two years ago. It happened to Russell Westbrook when KD left. It happened to LeBron James. It happens to every player. It's going to, it's happening to Ben Simmons. It's going to happen to Joel Embiid. It's going to happen to all of them. Because we just can't let young players grow. We get mad at 22 and 24-year-old players because they can't have, hit jump shots. Like, seriously, there are not that many great, perfect NBA players very rarely come along. And when I mean perfect, I mean guys who do it all. Defend, can pass, can shoot, can finish, can make free throws. Kawhi's probably the one now. Kawhi Durant will probably be the two guys who are the perfect players as constructed currently. And then LeBron had a run when he was all of it for the prime of his career. But then you have to go back to like Jordan because Kobe wasn't perfect. Maybe KG, I suppose. But they don't come around that often. And now we just are in this place where we want everybody to do everything immediately. Giannis can defend, can pass, can finish, can be all his own one man first or fast break. But because he's not a great shooter at 24, oh, Giannis got exposed. No. He played up against a great team. That's what happens when you play versus great teams. It's going to be harder. And also, let's keep in mind. Toronto and Milwaukee went to a double overtime game. What was it? Game three? Game four? They were literally this close away from winning in five. So we got to stop it. We just really got to stop it. You know? Let these players develop. No, Ben Simmons cannot shoot, and that's okay. He needs to get better. He's also 22. No, Giannis cannot shoot. That's okay. Yes, he needs to improve, particularly his free throws. But he's 24. He just led a team to 61 wins, I believe. And lost a series that... It wasn't like it was just beat that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there were close games. Game six was a close competitive game. There, there is blame to go around. But it's nuts because we are living in it right now after just doing the same thing with Kawhi last year. <laughs> we just did this. We built these young, amazing players who do everything right, we build them up just to rip them down. And we expect everything from... Dog, people got mad at Kawhi because he was hurt. <laughs> people got mad at Kawhi because he knew his body better than the team doctors. 
And obviously, the proof is in the pudding. Like, like what, what do we want to say? He wasn't healthy. He didn't want to play. It wasn't because he quit. Because if that was the case, how do you explain what he did this year? How do you explain the same Spurs team misdiagnosed Danny Green, who then came out and said as much? We, we just really quickly swept, swept that under the rug, right? It's nuts to me. For a league that prides itself in letting stars drive the league, right? And, and marketing their stars and letting their stars be themselves. Man, the NBA goes out of its way to tear down their stars the first moment that they may have some hurdles, some obstacles. Giannis is 24 years old, just took the Milwaukee Bucks to the first Eastern Conference Championship since, what, 2001? 2000? And the moment that he has one subpar series, again, a series that looks 22, 13, 5, 2, one on 44% shooting. The moment he gives us that, oh my God. Giannis, uh, I don't know. He got exposed. Giannis, I don't know. He's not a playoff performer. Dog, shut up, man. Please, please. If that has ever been you, not just with Giannis, if it's been you with Kawhi, if it's been you with Durant or Russ or LeBron, Dog, stop it. Just please, just think a few more seconds before you continue down that path and just take a second, take a beat, and stop it. Because, man, we're so quick to call guys who are really good superstars, and when we actually do have superstars, legit elite players, the moment they get one set of tough waters, oh, my God, Rome is crumbling. Rome is burning. Chill with the hot takes. I know I've got a segment hot takes of the week, but I don't even really think my hot takes are like, like my takes compared to some of this stuff. Oh my God, my journey ain't even lukewarm, Joe. We legit got people questioning how great Giannis is. The fuck? <sighs> Maybe you are one of those people who look at Giannis a bit differently now after their loss versus the, the Toronto Raptors. If you are one, please, I want to hear from you. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E, report at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at me at quarterly show. Again, we spell quarterly here. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show. Tweet me your thoughts. Let me know why you are looking at Giannis a bit differently because of this one bad playoff performance versus a more than capable team. We're going to talk about the Toronto Raptors a little bit later in the fourth quarter, but we're going to switch things up, man, because my Memorial Day weekend, besides the fact we had an amazing game six Saturday, my Memorial Day weekend got significantly better because of one man. That's in our second topic this week. Second quarter. I really hope everyone had an amazing Memorial Day weekend. I know I did, and this came despite having to work on Sunday and my AC failing me the moment it starts getting hot, right? But it was still a positive weekend. I had time to spend with my family, went to play around with my daughter the whole night. It was fun. But while my daughter was playing at one playground Saturday afternoon, 
I'm listening to my favorite podcast outside of the quarterly reports. And I'm talking about the Joe Budden podcast. And they just real quickly mentioned that, yeah, Jay-Z's catalog is now on Apple Music with the exception of Reasonable Doubt. Slam my mo, I almost dropped my phone. I was like, hold on. It's like all of them. I stopped the pod dead in its tracks, hit the search on the Apple uh, Music icon, and then I see all of the Jay-Z albums. And I was like, yo, let's go. Okay, the weekend really just got set up perfectly now. I'm here. Now, I think Jay-Z is among the five greatest rappers of all time, though I do not think that Jay-Z is the best. I do not think that Jay-Z has all these classics that a lot of people swear he does have. I really only think Jay has three, maybe four classics, depending on how you view Rock La Familia. You know what? I'll even throw five, right? If I were to rank Jay-Z's albums, number one for me is Blueprint. Number two, Reasonable Doubt. Number three, American Gangsta. Number four, Rock La Familia. And number five, I, I, I'll give you Black Album. I'll give you Black Album. 444 is pretty tough. But just right now, off of longevity, I'll give you Black Album. But those are my five for Jay. And with the exception of Reasonable Doubt, all of them are readily available on Apple Music. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I was I was like, yo, let's go. Because over time, CDs that I've had, they've gotten scratched. I don't even know where most of my CDs are. So I really, some of those CDs I've never, I, or I shouldn't say I never, I haven't heard in years, right? Because I've never gotten title. I never got title. I wasn't falling for it. I understood, yo. Shout out to Jay. He's a businessman. He's trying to do his own thing. I'm not paying for a bunch of different subscriptions. Nah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rocking like that. You know, I can listen to Outkast on Apple Music. I can listen to Rafael Sadiq, Tony 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 on Apple Music. You know, I get, I mean, hell, Prince. Prince came to Apple Music not too long ago. It's like, dog, I, I can't really, I like Jay. I don't like Jay like that. Put it like that, right? But Apple Music was blessed with 90% of his catalog. And I'm reminded, so as I look, initially, I go, once I find out, I skip right to Blueprint, because that's my joint. I told people on Twitter this, in terms of just hip-hop albums, Equimini is always going to be number one to me. I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm not changing my mind. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm 36 years old, there's... You can make an album that could be very well better than Equimini. I'm not changing my mind. To me, there's nothing better from a rap perspective. Hell, Equimini is my favorite CD, period. You're just not getting anything better than that. But coming in number two in terms of the rap albums, it's The Blueprint. The Blueprint is such an amazing piece of work. I went right to it. And... The Blueprint is dope for a lot of different reasons. I was talking to a friend of the program, Troy Halliburton, about this over the weekend. It's got a very cohesive feel. You know, Blueprint drops when everybody was doing the real either the uh, like Swiss Beats kind of real highly produced or uh, Neptunes was had one of their long runs of like really poppy produced, really clean melodic beats. And then here comes the blueprint in the middle of that. 
that just goes really, really hard with the soul samples. Like the entire album, with the exception of two songs that we're going to get to in a second, has an entire cohesive feel. It just feels like it, it feels like a complete project from beginning to end. And the time it happened, obviously it dropped on 9-11, so there's a, a certain emotional attachment that a lot of us have to that record. But then also Jay spitting his ass off. You know, we can talk about the music. We can talk about the samples. We can talk about the time, right, and, and, and current events. But let's also not forget Jay wrapped his ass off on that album. He gave us three bonus tracks, and them joints were better than other people's standout tracks on their albums. They were bonus tracks. Girls, Girls, Girls remix, Lyrical Exercise, Mama Look. Come on, bro. Come on, Joe. That's the blueprint. Then you factor in TakeOver. I, bro, I still to this day, I listen to that song and I'm conflicted because I partly feel, my God, this is a kill shot from Jay. And then I also feel, yo, it's a testament to Nazir that he was able to withstand that. Not only withstand it, come back from it, but then respond the way he did. Takeover kills 99.3% of rappers. And I'm not talking about, oh, man, you got to take an L for a little bit and then you can bounce back. Similar to what happened with Meek. Similar to what happened with Drake after the story of Adidon. No, 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 no. Takeover ends your career. It's over. Stop dead in your tracks. That's what we would, that's the type of venom that Jay was spitting on that joint. And he only gave a verse and a half to Nas. He didn't even give the whole song to him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Shout out to Pro God Bless the Dead. So we ain't going to say nothing too crazy. But Prodigy's career was never the same after that. H&IC was dope. Jay was sending him a little, a little man. I sold more than your whole album in my first week. And it was kind of like, ah, man. And Jay was king of that, man. A lot of people give 50 kind of the, the trophy in terms of Talking about record sales? Nah, Jay will flex like that all the time. And that was the second track. Slim, when you start Blueprint, his intro is one of the hardest songs he ever made. <laughs> you understand? Bruh, Jay-Z came out on Blueprint on something completely different. He took a shot at X within the first 30 seconds of his entire album. And it was real light, but he made sure you understood. And then he just ran down, and then from that point on, you was like, okay. So here's one question, because I'm going to ask y'all another question. But have you ever heard an album where the intro, not, not if it is a skit and then the second track is a song, right? But the very first track, the intro, has one of the hardest songs on the entire piece of work. Have you ever experienced a record, an album, a project where the intro went hard and the album wasn't? Because I started thinking about this the moment I'm playing the Blueprint on Saturday and I'm feeling good, the weather was nice, it was breezy, my daughter's at the playground, man, I had some barbecue, living the life, right? And I'm starting thinking, well, you know what? The return of forever, dope. I mean, dark as hell is hot. 
just the intro before again when you come out swinging in your first two songs dark as hell is hot he has the intro and then got rough riders anthem right the reason by beanie siegel nothing like it is the the uh first track the intro Like, when you come out swinging like that, you set the tone, you establish a certain type of momentum, and you let everybody know, okay, we coming for your neck. And that's what Jay did with Blueprint. Bro, I could go on and on about Blueprint because I love it that much. But Saturday, Blueprint was absolutely the soundtrack of my Memorial Day weekend. But it also got me thinking about another question. Like I said, my favorite album my favorite rap album is Equimini and there's one song on Equimini that it's not that it's bad per se right I just don't rock with it and it doesn't feel it feels out of place and that song is Mamacita and because I love Equimini so much and I can listen to every single track on Equimini with the exception of Mamacita it's like the dude who gets a walk in the ninth inning of a perfect game. You still get a no-hitter, but you came so close to a perfection. So that one walk probably sticks with you your entire life. The fact that I got to push the skip or hit the button to skip it for Mamacita, it drives me crazy. I hate Mamacita so much, not because it's such a bad song. It's not that bad, but it just it ruins perfection to me. And I've tried hard, bro. Lord knows I've tried to convince myself and to talk myself into liking that song. I just can't do it. I got I got to stay true. But I feel the same way with the blueprint. Because Jay's whole album feels so perfect. It's so cohesive. It it meshes and is dope. And then just out of the blue, you got Ola Ovito and Jigga that, mm, you know what I'm saying? And those two songs, I was just like, man, why did you put them on here? Now, I get it. You know, Jay stayed with the club record. And if you're in the club and Jigga That Come On or Ola Ovito Come On, people probably, you know, I get it. But, man, those songs are not, ah, they just really get in the way of perfection. So my question to you guys as we wrap up the second quarter, what's the song that you hate the most? Not because it's bad per se, but on your favorite piece of work, it just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb because to me, it's Mamacita and then it's Jigga That In, right? Hola, Ovito, I'll shoot him some bail a little bit, but even that too, it's like, come on, bro. I just, I, just, I can't rock with those, those three. And those three songs stay in the way of perfection. Do y'all have anything like that or am I old then? I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts because, dog, again, like I said, man, this is a shared experience, this podcast. I want to let you guys in on, on how I get down. My weekend was amazing. You feel me? I'm listening to The Blueprint over and over again. I then go to Rock La Familia. Y'all know I love that joint. I'm, I'm just bouncing all the way around listening to Jay, and I keep going back to Blueprint. And I was like, man. I really can't. I really just don't rock with these two songs. And they just don't fit. 
and it makes me dislike him so much. If you would have put Ola Ovito on volume two, fine. I wouldn't even trip. If Jigga That N was on any of his other Rockefeller joints, I get it. Volume three, Blueprint two, Kingdom Come, whatever. Put him whatever you want to put him. It's fine. But on the Blueprint, nah, bro. That joint hurts. That joint hurts because I got to hit the skip. It messes up the whole feng shui. You understand what I'm saying? So let me know, man. Am I tripping? Or if you feel what I'm saying and you understand kind of my thought process, let me know the one album that has got one song that in, in general is not bad. But in this particular sequencing, when that particular piece of, pro of art or the project, it just really drives you nuts because it keeps that work, that album that you love so much, it keeps it away from being completely perfect. Let me know if you got uh, uh, in a, a, a point or an, an example similar. Hit me up on Twitter or email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means it is halftime this week. And halftime this week, I got to give you some context, bro, because, again, I'm listening to Joe Budden's podcast. And one of the things that... I do like doing a pod for Tuesday at the beginning of the week. I have more energy. I feel rested, right? But I miss out on the stuff that happens midweek. So I got to wait a whole week to talk about it. And Joey and the guys, they talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger getting drop kicked in the back. Slim, that joint to me is nuts. The, it was so funny listening to them talk about it because that's exactly how I listened to it and laughed when I saw it. I don't know what has to happen in your head. For you to drop kick somebody, put both your feet on someone. <laughs> That's nuts. You a grown man drop kicking another grown man. Arnold Schwarzenegger is like 70 years old. He ate that joint like it was nothing. He ain't even clinch up. He ain't getting mad. He just looked at dudes like, what? And then his bouncer beat the brakes off of him. And, I, and you know he got pummeled afterwards. But I'm thinking to my head, bro, like, what has to happen for you to drop kick somebody? To you to think that's the move. And Joey on the guys, they were talking about, yo, somebody drop kicking the guy is as wild as someone doing the Boston Crab to someone. And he's right. Because we all, depending on your age, man, we all grew up doing wrestling moves and stuff in school and high school. I used to get, I used to stay giving Bama stunners, like for real. Kick him in the stomach and give him stunners. That was my thing. I wouldn't do that in a real, like, if I actually had a real issue with somebody, like just walking down the street, kick somebody in the stomach and give him a stunner. But, but things are different now, bro. Case in point, this weekend, I don't even know who this rapper is. The baby, I don't even know who he is. I don't know one song about him. I don't know anything about him. But damn it, he beat some dude up. <laughs> and he pants the brother. I don't know what's going on in the world now. If y'all are unaware there's a rapper, I don't know the whole story. I don't know if the dude he beat up was a rapper. I don't know anything. But apparently he was on... It was on my timeline. This guy's talking trash about this rapper called The Baby. This dude, he's a, he's a grown man, but he's called The Baby. Whatever. They in a Gucci store, and the dude is just like looking at him, talking trash or whatever. So then, and he's filming it on his IG story. They, I guess they butted the two together, and then afterwards you see The Baby's IG story, and the same guy who was running his mouth, his nose is leaking, he's on the floor in a mall, and... He's got his underwear, so like his, his shorts or his pants are pulled down. 
So he's just in his drawers on the floor in the mall with his nose bloody. And I'm thinking to myself, man, what the, what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? So the way my mind works, I went to infuse both of those funny instances, right? Where people are doing wrestling maneuvers on social media for clout. And I thought it would be interesting to kind of imagine how that would look. So without further ado, here is the warped mind of yours truly about infusing wrestling moves in a fight on Worldstar. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Take it out. <sighs> ah, man, let me you know, run up in the store real quick. Try not to spin on my bread. <clears throat> oh, oh, yo, that's, that's the Tyler. <laughs> the Tyler, that's like my favorite rapper. Yo, Tyler, what's up, Joe? Oh, man, yo, I'm a big fan, Joe. Oh, hold on, hold on. Dog, it look like somebody in beefing with the Tyler. Oh, shit. Damn, they about to go at it. Yo, oh. They scrapping. Oh, let me put my phone out. Oh, record, record, record. Oh, the Tyler. Oh, with the arm drag takedown. Oh, my goodness. Got him in the arm bar. Thought he looking like Ricky the Dragon Steve. Uh-oh, uh-oh. uh-oh. The Tyler's up. Clothesline. Uh-oh. Oh, he's got him. He's calling for it. Oh, the cross face chicken wing. The Tyler got him with the cross face. Oh, world star. <laughs> Dog, the baby? <laughs> Yo, let me make this perfectly clear. I'm not taking shots at nobody. Yo. Shout out to the baby. You understand? This is just kind of reaffirming what I already know and I've known for a while. I'm old as hell, Joe. I don't even know what... I don't... No disrespect. I don't want no little bomber running up on me. You feel me? This is no disrespect to anybody. But I, I don't know anything about the baby. All I know is this holiday weekend... I saw so many people talking about him beating some dude up. This dude looked like a grown man, too. Big dude, locks. Dog, he beat his ass up so bad he was in his drawers. <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, bro, I don't know. I don't know when things pivoted. I don't know when things took a turn, Joe. But it's passed me up. You understand? I don't know what the game is anymore. But within a span of a few days, I saw the Terminator get drop kicked. And I saw a rapper beat some dude up at the Gucci store and then pants them. I'm so glad I grew up when I did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I really am. That's no shade to anybody. I'm just happy that I lived in the era that I that I grew up in. You understand what I'm saying? Because all this stuff now, it's all wrestling. A few months back, I had the Stephen A. Macho Manager. All of it is wrestling. I don't even know who's nice anymore. Like, I'm so old that I still look at guys like Joey Badass and Kendrick and J. Cole as the youngins. They ain't 30 now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nobody nobody checking for them like the youngins, for real. It's all these other Bamas, all these littles, and I'm not hating. I want to make it perfectly clear. I'm not hating. When I was coming up, I listened to P moan all over his songs. I remember the first time I played a DMX song to my dad. He looked at me like I was nuts. He's like, dog, this dude is barking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So shout out to the young boys and girls out there. Listen to what y'all like. Don't, don't listen to us old heads anymore. We all have it. We all have our run. We all have that music. 
do y'all think? But it's just fun as an old head looking back and be like, dog, I just don't know. I have no clue what makes you hot anymore. Because Bama's, I heard more people cite the baby. The baby. D-A baby. Right? The baby. I heard more people cite the baby off of beating a dude up than I have a song. And that's cool. Right? Again, no disrespect. But that's just the era that we in. And that's nuts because honestly... We, people in your 30s and over, we got to take some of the blame. Because Fifth Fifth got on by not shooting somebody. He got on because he got shot. Like, Bama's, think about it. The whole G-Unit, like, Young Buck got shot. Game got shot. That was kind of their thing. We going to have a crew of Bama's who got shot. Now, they could rap too. But, like, that was kind of the turning point, like, where... It wasn't just about lyrics. It just wasn't about your songs. It was also like your whole persona. And now, you know, the next generation just took off and ran with it. So shout out to them. Shout out to the baby. Shout out to the baby, man. For real, we all having fun in games. But like, I don't know. I don't know, dude. But he got to. I do want to make sure he's he understands like, dog, this is a game that really ain't this. If this is how. You are building your stature, right? I don't know how. I don't know how sustainable this is, right? Because at some point, somebody is going to try to clout chase you, and they're going to try to tempt you into a fight, and then it's not going to be a scrap. You understand what I'm saying? So hopefully, this is the last that we hear the baby fighting somebody. Because no matter how you play this out, at some point, it comes up with a bad conclusion. So. Shout out to all y'all young mamas out there listening to what y'all listen to. Shout out to the baby, the baby. And shout out to the Bama who got his ass beat up on Memorial Day weekend and got pants, dog. <laughs> dog, this is how I don't get it. The era passed me up. The dude got beat up. Nose leaking, got pants in a mall. And then his ass gonna put another Instagram video after the beatdown. It's a different world from where you come from, baby. I remember the days when if you lost a fight, Slim, you was going to have to come up. Either you was going to have to beat dude up again or that you was going to have to go find a way to, to hang your head for like a week. Dog, it was you don't don't lose a fight on a Friday. Oh, my God. That Bama's got a whole weekend to make jokes over you. This Bama ran into the jokes. Let me stop. I spent five minutes talking about the baby. Beating up Obama and pantsing him. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, pray for my daughter because I don't know what the hell things are going to be like in another six, seven years. Lord, help us all. All right, y'all, that was the halftime. The Terminator got dropkicked. The baby pantsed Obama. But we back, Gary. We back. We refocused. I promise you, it don't sound like we focused right now, but we're going to get everything together. We've got a strong game plan to, to finish up strong, right, to, to have a great second half, man. we got the plan in place, and we're going to get to it, starting with our third topic this week. I talked to you guys about this earlier in the show, man. I'm a huge fan of the Joe Budden podcast. It, it, now that I, I work in, in news, there really isn't much that I watch or even really just ingest, you know what I'm saying, personally. I like a lot of sports, as you guys know, NBA, boxing specifically. I got 
a small child and I'm trying to get into the WNBA more and more, right? So I've started to, you know, have a passion for that. But really, I don't like baseball. I really don't care much about football, particularly in their offseason. There just isn't a lot that I really consume, you know, outside of basketball and boxing. So the Joe Budden podcast is really good for me because I can kind of keep, uh, you know, keep an eye on kind of what's going on outside of just the local stuff that is constantly in my face via work and my personal life. Right. And in this past episode, he really had an interesting topic that he kind of touched on. I ended up reading the article, but it was talking about Netflix and how it may be it may be a wrap for Netflix. Right. And. Depending on how old you are, that's nuts to really think about. Like, not only do I remember Netflix, like, sending DVDs to your house and you had to fill out the key and, you know, fill out which movies you want next. I remember those days, but I really, really remember days of blockbuster video and Hollywood video. Like, Hollywood video was my first job ever. And I used to love, even before I was old enough to work, I used to love getting movies. You know what I'm saying? Summer vacation, spring break, or on a Friday night right before the weekend, my pops would take me to Blockbuster or Hollywood and we'd get the movies or a bucket of popcorn and even the video games. And we, I, I just kind of ball out that weekend, right? I would have fun, man. Like, this one of the reasons why I could quote so many movies because I watched them over and over and over again because I rented them so much, right? Whether it's Bad Boys, Major Pain, Half Baked, Boomerang, you name it, right? So the idea that Netflix, the company that basically got all of them out of there, Netflix moved on to the block and cleaned the block out, man, ran all them bammers out of town. You know what I'm saying? Like, easy, no comp. There was nobody on the block for, for Netflix for like a decade plus. Easy money. And now, with Disney Plus around the corner, and obviously you still have Hulu and Amazon Prime, but Disney Plus is really like the kind of the new big dog on the block. All these reports are talking about, yo, Netflix, they just kind of hurting. Not only is there concern about Okay, look, they've got real competition with Disney Plus. Disney Plus basically cracked the prices up on some of Netflix's most successful original content, right? Because although The Punisher and Daredevil and Jessica Jones are Netflix original shows, they're using Marvel characters, Marvel being bought out by Disney, right? It's a whole crazy process when you think about it. But again, the idea that Netflix may get maybe pushed off the block when they to many of us are the innovators it's nuts but it goes to show you the changing dynamics in just everything that we do i talk to my friends often and i'm like man we always say like joe i just wish tnt would air the finals right because we're about to get mark jackson mike breen i love jeff van gunny so i ain't gonna say a bad thing about him but they're calling the rest of the NBA games. Every NBA fan worth a damn understands how sad that last game of whichever conference championship TNT airs, right? Because that's it for inside the NBA. Like, that's it. And it's a sad day every year. Every year, every real NBA fan realizes, damn. You know, like game six in Toronto was a hell of a game. But when it was over, you were like, dog. 
it was kind of blown. You were like, dog, it's over. I, this quarter, though, is not about Netflix specifically, and it's damn sure not about the NBA. I'm telling you all of this to prepare you guys for the changing landscape in terms of how we consume everything. Not just television, not just sports, not just movies, everything. And this is a huge, I think, talking point, particularly, and we're continuing a topic that I talked about last week when it comes to the heavyweight division of boxing between Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua is getting set for a big fight uh, next weekend, I want to say. Um, and, you know, actually this this weekend, this weekend, excuse me, Anthony Joshua is fighting this Saturday on the zone he is a the zone fighter and i bring all of this up because i may be a skeptic i am one who i like to think of myself as an optimist i i feel like i'm very optimistic shout out to sounds of blackness but in certain aspects i think i'm a realist and oftentimes if you are a realist people will consider you a skeptic when it comes to boxing there is no i think they are one in the same I've told you guys for months now, I don't think that Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford fight. Definitely not at 147. And now I'm starting to think that if Deontay Wilder, and if the reports are true, he just turned down another opportunity to fight Anthony Joshua this year. If these reports are true, I'm not confident that we see a Wilder-Joshua fight. Not when anybody wants to see it. And it's sad because, and I'm saying that more importantly, because the game is changing. I've long since told you guys how I think the zone is on the cusp of doing something really, really big. Now, remember, Netflix, they are the innovator. They were the ones who changed the game originally. But time and technology moves so fast now that you don't even have 20 years to sit on the throne anymore because the moment you get comfortable, bong, technology has changed again. Bob Arum was long since the king of promoting. He was the guy. He had all the big names and he was the fat cat, right? Don King came and went. Bob Arum stood. And then it was Oscar De La Hoya. And Oscar De La Hoya kind of came out of nowhere because of his name. And then obviously his ties to Floyd Mayweather Jr., and then Canelo, and for a short period of time, Oscar De La Hoya was, Golden Boy Promotions were like, yo, these guys are it. They, he is the top dog of the sport. And then just like that, Al Heyman took the throne, and Premier Boxing Champions, it was birthed. And I don't even know if it's been 10 years now, but I remember my guy Travis Thomas was like, yo, for boxing fans, this was huge. This was before PPC even aired their first fight. And he was saying, yo, this is huge for boxing you got a brand new promotion who's got all these elite level fighters all under one roof and they're going to fight each other and it's going to be on network television. And up until this point, despite the fact that we haven't seen all of the fights that we would want, PBC has been a, a massive success. Commercially, financially, Al Heyman was considered an innovator, a genius. So we've had three guys, bong, 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 right? Aram. De La Hoya, Heyman. And now we sit on the cusp 
of Eddie Hearn. De La Hoya has already tied his hit, his wagon, hitched his wagon to the zone now. And now you're seeing the sports scramble. And I will tell you this. One of the main reasons why I do not feel AJ fights Wilder, forget about pride, forget about purse, forget about all that other stuff, right? The zone and Anthony Joshua, I don't think that they want to have this fight on pay-per-view. They want this fight to be streamed on the zone. This fight would be the biggest fight in the sport because I don't know what other two whatever combination of two guys would be this big of a draw and it's the heavyweight title and it's two men whose native language is English, right? It's huge. Overseas, it's huge. America, it would be huge. You have two charismatic Amer or English speaking boxers, right? And they put on the show. They've got two of the best knockout rates in the sport. It is the biggest fight that can happen. And I don't think Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn and his camp want that fight on pay-per-view. They want that fight to be streamed on the zone. And we are in a day and age where technology is moving so fast that the innovators have to all, you can't rest. You have to keep on innovating. I think the zone is the way of the future, not just for boxing, but for all sports. I definitely think the zone is going to get in the NBA race whenever their TV deals are up. I would not be surprised in the slightest. And I say that because I've talked in the past about the zone getting in with the NFL. And mark my words. And this is why I am this is why I am more than worried. In fact, I doubt very highly that these two fighters fight. It's because if the NFL Sunday ticket ends up on the zone this year, there's no way. There is no way that that fight between Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder is on pay-per-view and not streamed on the zone. This is not going to happen. Because if they get, because look, just look at the months. Deontay Wilder has already put himself in the corner saying that he would not fight Anthony Joshua in 2019. Okay? We know that Tyson Fury had a three-fight deal with Top Rank. There aren't big fights for Fury if he's not going to fight Joshua. The money to fight Wilder again is not what they thought it was going to be. Deontay Wilder is an American boxer. He just finished having a spectacular knockout, first-round knockout of Dominic Brazil in America. Anthony Joshua, an Englishman who's never fought in America, is fighting. He's already sold more tickets than Deontay Wilder, and those tickets came at a higher price. This is what I'm saying. Tyson Fury thought that he was going to get the big payday versus Deontay Wilder. It did not happen. He signed a three-fight deal with Top Rank. He's about to have his first fight. He probably was going to have his second fight there at the end of this year. He's trying to get out of this contract to get the big money versus AJ. AJ fights this weekend. He probably fights Usyk at the end of the year. That puts him squarely early 2020 for a fight versus Tyson Fury. And again, if the NFL Sunday ticket happens to move on to the zone, bro, you can kiss a Wilder Joshua showdown goodbye. I really feel that way. Unless, unless fear, or less, excuse me, Wilder gets on his knees and kisses the ring. But the guys are running out of options. You understand? There's only but so many guys to, it's like musical chairs. There's only so many chairs that you can sit on. Tyson Fury is going to find that out the hard way. Nobody wants to see him fight these guys on top rank. 
He's not going to make a lot of money. Deontay Wilder continues to be one of the most entertaining faces in this sport, but he can't make money. Not the money that's being offered to him by AJ. AJ has the innovation. He's got the belts and he's got the money. He's got the draw. It's the biggest draw in the heavyweight division. The second biggest draw or first, depending on how you view Canelo in the sport. You understand what I'm saying? That Al Heyman is Deontay Wilder's he, Deontay Wilder is a PPC fighter. And Al Heyman for long, well, not even that long, but for, for over a decade because he was Floyd Mayweather's kind of main guy, right-hand man. And for, for that, his entire run with Floyd and now as the head of PPC, he's been looked upon as the innovator. And now... Look what's happening. The entire game is about to be changed. So many guys want that pay-per-view money because for decades, that's how it was supposed to be. But just like Blockbuster, just like Hollywood Video, and unfortunately, just like Netflix, the game changed before your eyes. It's a different game now. And the zone is looking not in the, the future as in next year. The zone is playing this thing out. And if they get NFL Sunday ticket, I promise you, man, the game is changed from this. It reminds me, and I think I talked about this in the past, when Fox got the NFL. Dog, you get the NFL, everything changes. Everything changes. If you are old enough and you remember Fox before the NFL, and it was rock, and it was the living color, and it was the John Leguizamo show, you understand? And then they got the NFL. Oh, okay, Fox. Melrose Place, you understand? It was all this new, it was new money coming. And now Fox is this huge entity. If the zone gets the NFL Sunday ticket this year, you can already imagine what they're thinking about 10 years down the line. And Anthony Joshua, who I know has stock in the zone, and he got under the ground floor, so did Eddie Hearn. They're not giving up that. That big piece, that big piece of the pie, that huge number one fight that could be made. They're not giving that away. They're not giving that away for pay-per-view. A dying model. Every single DAZN commercial that you've ever seen, they are telling you pay-per-view is dead. You think that they're going to share some of that, share some of that pie in the biggest fight this sport can make on pay-per-view when that's their main competitor? Come on, Slim. You better keep your eyes open. Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix before Netflix blew up. Netflix had a chance to get and buy their own and create their own original content before all of their rivals started to pop up. And now, apparently Netflix is in the red. They're swimming in the red because they borrowed so much money to create their own original content. All of their money, most of their money, I should say, comes from airing shows that belong to other networks, you know, their other networks, uh, intellectual property, the office or, you know, um, Gotham, whichever shows you like to watch on Netflix. Most of them are not their own original content and the stuff that is, they are able to churn out that much. They got to take, they got to borrow some more money, borrow some more money. Disney owns everything that they're going to air. This is how wild it is. Disney says they're coming in at $7.99. Pay a $7.99 a month. Netflix is like $13, $12.99. So not only is, does Disney not have to pay anybody to air content, 
they're coming in cheaper. Dog, they get Netflix out of here. And this isn't just a blockbuster Netflix or pay-per-view the zone. This is a this is something that we all should be able to take a little bit from. Dog, you gotta always keep your eyes open. Always keep your eyes forward, man, because the game is changing. Technology is nuts right now, bro. So much, so much of the future hasn't even been hasn't even been thought of because technology is moving so fast. I try to warn everybody with the rise of the machine segments, right? Because technology, I think, ultimately is going to hem us up. But it can be a beautiful thing if you allow yourself to imagine, bro. Al Heyman allowed himself to imagine to a point. Oscar De La Hoya allowed himself to imagine to a point. Bob Arum to a point. Netflix to a point. But that moment you get comfortable, bro, the moment you think you got it made, the moment you want to sit down on your throne and look at all your accomplishments, somebody is ready to come for your head. Dog, do not let the NFL Sunday ticket come onto the zone this fall. Because if it does, mark my words, unless Deontay Wilder comes to his senses and kisses the ring, bro, I don't know when we see that fight. I really don't know. Because it's chess. AJ has a fight this weekend. You know they're grooming Usyk to fight him, if not at the end of this year, beginning of 2020. And then Tyson Fury. That's the fight. Tyson Fury's not... He chose not to fight Deontay Wilder for a reason. He chose it for a reason. I don't think he goes back. I think he thought him versus Wilder was going to be a bigger payday, and it wasn't. It wasn't. I hope Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua does happen in 2020, but dog, I would not bet on it. And if the zone gets the NFL Sunday ticket, bro, I think we kiss that all goodbye. Let me know your thoughts on the heavyweight division. Let me know what you think happens this weekend between Anthony Joshua and his big time fight in America, his first American fight. Let me know your thoughts on the fight, your thoughts on the division, all of that. At Quarterly Show or on Twitter, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. Or you can email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. All right, guys, we are three quarters down. That means we have one quarter left. So without further ado, let's finish up strong with our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. We are just days away from a finals in which I think will be amazing. I'm seeing a lot of people, the quote-unquote experts, Saying how they think the, the Warriors are going to win regardless. The Warriors don't need Kevin Durant to win. It's going to be a four or five game series. Yada, yada, yada. Look, I've been wrong a lot as it pertains to these playoffs. I thought the Warriors were going to lose to the Rockets. I thought the Raptors were going to lose to the Bucks. That's fine. I can admit when I'm wrong. But I in each of those series, I thought they were going to be competitive. And they were. And... No matter who ends up winning these finals, I don't think either team would win in a cakewalk. What we've seen in these playoffs are two of the best well-run organizations, two of the best forward thinking. We just kind of talked about forward thinking in the last quarter. Teams who are not crippled by being myopic. Teams who allow themselves to think, teams who understand their own right players 
in their own strengths, something that we've talked ad nauseum about on this show, self-assessment. Oh, and by the way, the team with the best players. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that also helps. But they've gone about it in two completely different ways. The Golden State Warriors have a first-team All-NBA player in Steph Curry and somehow a second-team All-NBA player in Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, widely regarded as one of the two or three best players in this league. And Toronto with the second-team All-NBA player in Kawhi Leonard, who also, by the way, seemingly is a top two to three player in this league. It's nuts. It's nuts. If you were to just go back six, seven years ago and say that the, the Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors will meet in the finals in a highly anticipated NBA finals among the two best teams in the league, nobody would have believed you just seven, six, seven years ago. And here we are. And there's going to be much made about the series. There's going to be much made about what happens to both of these teams moving forward. This offseason is extremely compelling for a lot of teams. You could make the case that no two teams could be changed more so than the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors, depending on what happens. But it's also, I think, very important, very key that we look back on how these two teams have gotten here, the ways they've done it, because they are both have been completely different. And salute the, the, the minds who have put these two teams, these two organizations, these two cities in this position. Just months ago, people made fun of the Raptors, right? That was the thing. All oh, the Raptors choking the playoffs. They got Kawhi. All oh, the Raptors going to lose. People, dog, don't let this revisionist history fool you. People did not. Everyone acts like this was a slam dunk trade. There were people criticizing the Raptors last year about it. That was a real thing. Oh, what's wrong with Kawhi? He's injury prone. Oh, Kawhi is a malcontent. If he can't get along with the Spurs organization, he can't get along with anywhere. Oh, Kawhi is just going to leave. You trade the face of the franchise, the, the one player who actually wanted to stay in Toronto, and you trade him for a one-year rental. Those were all things that were said, and not just said by some guy on the corner, by people who have a platform. Those were things that were said. The gods favor the bold. It's a saying that I hear from time to time. And Masai, you Jerry, call him a lot of the things you want. Oftentimes, I think he's the best front office manager in the league. But he's definitely bold. And the gods have favored him. The basketball gods have favored him. I, I just don't know. Take the Kawhi situation. Forget the Kawhi trade. Masai Ujiri traded Carmelo Anthony got better. When everybody was say, swearing that Carmelo Anthony was a legit superstar, Masai Ujiri's like, eh, I don't think so. We want him to stay, but he doesn't want to stay, so we're going to get the most that we possibly can, and they did. Masai Ujiri traded Andrea Bargnani. Yes, I understand those two moves came at the expense of the dumbest organization in the NBA, my beloved New York Knicks, but damn it, he made it happen. You traded Rudy Gay. Like, Masai Ujiri knows what he's doing. Look at their roster with the exception of Kawhi. Fred Van Vliet, super important. Since he had his child, he's been an amazing basketball player. He was undrafted. 
Pascal Siakam. Dog, OG Ananobi. I thought OG was going to have the breakout season that Siakam had. And there's a part of me that still feels that OG is better than Siakam. He just had a lot of injuries and some, you know, tragic events that happened in his personal life this year. We'll see how he bounces back. But those two players were drafted by Masai. Those weren't like top 10 picks. Everybody, you know, last week I talked about Danny Ferry finding players. You don't always have to find a superstar. Find players who are good. Danny Green, a guy Danny Ferry drafted, was a throw-in in the Kawhi trade. And though, although Danny Green seemingly just can't remember how to shoot three-pointers anymore, he's still a significant player because of what he brings to the table defensively. And even if he's on this this in remarkable cold streak, number one, you know numbers regress to the mean. You know he's going to shoot his way out. And if it happens in the finals, that could change everything. But even if he's not making his shots, he's an amazing defensive player still. I mean, look at the way the Raptors have been built. Frugal, smart drafting, finding role players, guys who buy in, DeLone Wright, all of these guys who have a distinct role, they do not try to overshoot. There's no ego. It doesn't seem to be, at least. And then when they had when they had the kill shot, when they put themselves in position, they made the move that changes everything. The one time this team has ever made it to the finals, it's not a coincidence. It happens the year that they trade for one of the best players in this league. A player, by the way, that damn near every team could have had. That's nuts. It's it so funny, man, when these type of things happen, people retweet old, you know, tweets and reports. The other day, I completely forgot about this, but apparently Philadelphia said that Markel Fultz was untouchable in a trade for Kawhi Leonard. They they traded Markel Fultz for like a second round pick in what was it, Simmons? I forget Jonathan Simmons. Dog, come on, bro. Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown were considered off limits in a Kawhi. You understand how dumb some of this stuff sounds? And, it, and I'm not saying this because hindsight is 2020. It was dumb the moment this happened. I've said it time and time again. Every team damn near could have had Kawhi Leonard. And every team outside of the Raptors should be kicking themselves. Because not only are the Raptors in the NBA Finals, not only does it seem like they've got the best player in the league, winning is fun. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how many of you all have competed at, a, at any level, but when you win, you enjoy it. And when you win in Toronto, slim. So many people who've never been to Toronto talk so much trash about Toronto. Toronto is my favorite city in the entire world. And yeah, it's cold in November, in December, and through April. But the end of May, like this time of the year, June, July, there are not many places in the world better than Toronto. Carabana hasn't even happened yet. Slim. Don't let them win. Kawhi's ass will be on some float during Carabana. His ass ain't going. If you've been to Toronto, you already know what time it is. Don't let them win. Shit. <laughs> okay. But that's how Toronto 
found themselves in this place, right? They've got one of the best minds running the organization and they trust him fully. Dwayne Casey was coach of the year last year. We can argue if he was the truly best coach, but he won the award and he got fired. <laughs> like Masai put the chips on the table, went all in, but he backed it up with smart moves. And he had trust in the process because of all of the success that he has had building this team. The Van Vliet's, the Ananobis, the Siakums, the Powell's. These are guys, these are all role players, essentially. The Lowry trade. The Ibaka trade. Then you go to Oakland and look at the Warriors. There was no... They were a champion without the big-time free agent acquisition. And we all know about Kevin Durant. We all know about DeMarcus Cousins. They don't need either of them. It's one of the reasons why I think people are so mad at Kevin Durant, right? Because him going to Golden State just made everything so unbalanced, right? Because without him, they were a 73-win former champion just a few moments away from being a two-time champion, arguably best team of all time. And then they got him. They just plucked him, even though they didn't need him. Like, that's what rubs everyone the wrong way. Not just because Kevin Durant is one of the best players in his league and they've got the Warriors have so many. But we've seen teams with a lot of great players. The problem was the Warriors didn't need him. They plucked Kevin Durant from one of their only two rivals in the entire sport and they completely eliminated their competition in the Western Conference. And then because Kevin Durant is so dominant, they just basically used him as a mercenary, right? He's like Achilles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I got him too? All right, well, whatever. We can't win. That's why people are so upset. But forget Kevin Durant for a second. Look at how they drafted. Steph Curry, yes, he was a top 10 pick. But Clay wasn't. But, but I'm sorry, Clay was, but Clay wasn't like some top three pick. Multiple teams, the team who resides in DC passed on him. Draymond Green, second round pick. Andre Iguodala, solid player, but no one looked at him as a, a vital key. So while the Raptors were meticulous drafting outside the lottery and finding players and finding diamonds in the rough. And then the moment they had an opportunity to strike, they did. The Warriors were developed by a slow burn. And here's the thing, man. This is the most important thing the, or the most impressive thing I should say about the Warriors. We are now in a league where everybody wants to shoot threes and they, and they, this, they hide it under the guise of, Oh, this is analytics. And it's lazy, bro. It's super lazy. It's like the youngins who, who get the the waist thinner or the they drink the, the, the tummy tea, whatever. And they think that that's the way to have a healthy lifestyle. They don't work out. They don't eat well. They just get the, the newest trend. Nah, Joe, that's not it. You faking. When I see... The Wizards say, hey, man, we're going to have Jan Mahimi and Dwight Howard shoot threes. And I'm like, nah, bro, y'all don't know what y'all talking about. Y'all just see the wave and you think it without putting in the work. Every 
Analytics does not mean that everybody should shoot threes. No. Some guys shouldn't. Hell, John Wall shouldn't shoot as many threes as he's been shooting. It's not that he can't shoot threes. He can shoot threes when his feet are set. The problem is he comes down and jacks up threes because that's what everybody's telling him to do. And it's not just John. It's not just the Wizards. It's the entire league. Everybody is trying to beat the Warriors at the Warriors game. Last week, I talked about how dumb Brazil was trying to fight Deontay Wilder, that type of style. Wilder's got the best punch in the sport. Why are you trying to trade with him? Why are you trying to slug it out with somebody with the best punch? Why are you trying to outshoot Golden State? Golden State changed the game, not because they were faking or riding the wave, but because they realized what they had. They designed a system, a culture, an identity based upon their personnel. Everybody else in the league is chasing a wave, man. And that's why they lose. The Cavaliers beat the Warriors the one time because, yo, you've got LeBron. <laughs> and then Kyrie was there, hit one of the biggest shots in the world. Think about the teams who've given the Warriors the most problems, right? Obviously, Houston last year, but Houston, they tried to, you know, do the whole manipulation of the of the game. And like, hey, this is the way the Warriors are playing. We're going to go to 13, right? And they had their shot, and they couldn't capitalize. But outside of Houston, there was what? The Oklahoma City Thunder. Oklahoma City Thunder ran a bunch of isolation plays, right? Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, ISO, ISO, ISO. They weren't super three-point heavy. They weren't this magnificent ball movement display of team. They had two of the best players, and they were like, yo, y'all going to lead us. And they almost did. I talked about Cleveland. Cleveland had LeBron. Chico, right? And then here's another team. People forget. But during the early years, before Durant came, Memphis. Memphis gave Golden State all types of problems. And we knew that's the grit and grind Grizzlies. Another team that played to their strengths. They didn't try to out three points you. They were like, oh, this is our team. This is how we're built. And this is how we're going to get it done. And it almost worked. Build a team based on your personnel. We talk about it in football all the time, but in basketball, people just so cavalier about it. You've got point guards and big men who you know can't shoot out here. That's the whole genesis of the, the Giannis hate. Giannis can't shoot threes. It'd be better if he could, but honestly, I like Giannis driving to the rim. He needs to diversify his offensive game a bit, and I'm sure he will, but Giannis doesn't need to be Klay Thompson. He doesn't. Giannis doesn't have, everybody doesn't have to be Steph Curry. And the beauty of the Warriors is that the majority of the NBA teams are not as talented as the Warriors, number one, but the ones who are oftentimes are trying to beat the Warriors in a game that the Warriors have created. Don't try to punch a puncher, man. Box him. Don't try to out-sprint a sprinter. Right? Stretch that race out. These are things that don't seem to be that complicated, but for whatever reason, in practice, like in theory, it makes sense, but in practice, everybody else is shooting themselves in the foot. 
But we've got, in my opinion, two of the smartest organizations, if not the two smartest organizations, with the two best playoff performers in the league thus far, battling it out. We've got an incredibly young, athletic, deep team versus a veteran team who does not have the depth but does what they do better than anyone else does anything, right? The Warriors know what they do, and they execute that at the highest level. I don't know if Kevin Durant plays this series. He's not playing in game one. We know that. I don't know if DeMarcus Cousins is playing in this series. And if the Warriors are as smart as I think they are, they won't play him. DeMarcus Cousins does not help them at all in this series. I think it would be a huge mistake if the Warriors brought DeMarcus Cousins back in this playoff series. Time will tell. But it's not a coincidence that when you look at the all-NBA teams that came out, not only do you have the best talent, you've got the smartest minds. The Raptors aren't going to try to out-warrior the Warriors. The Raptors aren't going to try to manipulate the system like the Rockets. The, Rackets, the Raptors are not going to try to be the baby Warriors like the Blazers. And the Raptors have legit top talent unlike the Clippers. The Clippers had an identity, and you saw what happened. They weren't as talented as the Warriors, but they knew what they did, and they did what they do best. And they provided the biggest fight the Warriors have had this series, this entire playoffs, up until now. Y'all, I think we are going to have an amazing NBA Finals. I really think that this is a coin flip. I do not think Golden State is going to walk away. I could be wrong. I've been wrong quite a bit these playoffs, but I feel like this is so right. I truly do. I think that we are in store for an amazing NBA Finals. Not on wood. I probably just jinxed it. But damn it, if I'm right, y'all know I'm flexing. Flex with me. Hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show. If you think I'm tripping, you think Golden State's going to run away with this, and if you think the Warriors easily, easily dismantle the Raptors, if you think the Raptors are fluke, let me know, man. Hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. Email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. And guys, remember... Head on over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Podknife, wherever else you listen to podcasts. Let me, let your friends, family, the whole world know why you love the Quarterly Report Podcast. Why we are absolutely, without a doubt, the best sport podcast in the world. Let me know, man. Leave me a five-star review if you would so be so kind. Easy for me to say. Leave a five-star review if you would be so kind. And more important, let me know. Write a review. Tell the world why you love the show. All right, guys, that is my time this week. I want to thank every one of you all for listening, man. I really appreciate the love. Again, I took a few weeks off. The numbers are continuing to grow, though, man. Y'all stayed true. You stayed down with me, and I love each and every one of y'all for it. We'll be back right back here. We got so much to discuss next week. Boxing, NBA Finals, man, free agency is around the corner. When are the Wizards ever going to hire a general manager? So much to discuss, and I'll do it all next week on the Quarterly Report.